The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit going on in the Muslim world today. Many see it as part of the prophecy of the prophet Joel in the Hebrew Scriptures that in the last days God will pour out His Spirit upon all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy, young and old men will have dreams and visions. Several decades ago, I wrote a book called The Jesus Visions, which was expanded and published later as Miracles Among Muslims. We're hearing so many new accounts concerning Muslims believing in Jesus that today I want to explore an update of this end time phenomenon with you. I'm Christine Darg. Many believers have read my book about how divine dreams and visions are happening in the Islamic world despite all the news about terrorism. As I related in my book, Miracles Among Muslims, The Jesus Visions, many Muslims are receiving a living faith in the Prince of Peace. For example, one former terrorist who received a revelation of Jesus vowed that he would die for Jesus. But Jesus spoke audibly and said to him, I'm calling you to live for me, not to die. The former Muslim was surprised because he'd been taught by jihadi ideology to be obsessed with death. Well, from a theological viewpoint, all believers should be willing to die for the sake of the Savior. But Jesus' message to the former terrorist, to live and not die, was a refreshing reversal of the jihadi's death wish. Some experts say at least a quarter of all Muslim background believers have experienced some type of preparatory supernatural dream or vision about Jesus. In fact, when I share my faith with Muslims, I often ask them if they have already experienced a dream or a vision about Jesus, and it never ceases to amaze me how many answer in the affirmative. For example, one Muslim background believer in Jerusalem suffered a terrible ordeal of stomach cancer and he was in hospital for months. After he recovered, I asked him if he had seen Jesus during his ordeal. And he said, yes, Jesus came to my hospital bedside and held my hand and comforted me. You see, Jesus, the great physician, is not only Lord, he is our healer. Well, my friend Frank Kostenbader also chronicles dreams and visions among Muslims. Frank refers to the phenomenon of Muslims dreaming about Jesus as Isa dreams because the Arabic name for Jesus is Isa. Frank has gathered together ministers and authors who are interested in the history of Muslim background believers. In the 19th century, an entire sect of Muslims in Syria experienced corporate dreams about Jesus and sought baptism as a community. But tragically, they were betrayed and murdered in Damascus, as I chronicled in my book. A dream in 1844 led to the conversion of an Indonesian Muslim who helped to pioneer another modern movement of Muslims converting to Christianity. And two Jesus visions in 1892 in Ethiopia can be directly tied 
to the founder of a third Muslim movement to Jesus in the 19th century. I discovered that simply talking about a dream or a vision of Jesus opens the door for a Muslim believer in Jesus to talk openly about supernatural encounters. A case in point occurred when we took a tour group through the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem's old city where we met a Muslim cleric. Knowing that this sheikh was an expert on mystical Islam called Sufism, I asked if he'd heard of any of his co-religionists experiencing a dream about Jesus. Suddenly, he began to break down in tears. I'll tell you a secret, he said. I myself have seen Jesus. We sat in awe as he tearfully related one of the most beautiful encounters with the risen Lord Jesus that happened on the Mount of Olives where the Lord embraced him. It's always a marvel when Jesus appears to an individual he appeared to me when I was a young girl. In an open vision, he healed me of a life-threatening illness. But it's another dimension of magnitude altogether when Jesus appears to an entire group simultaneously. In a chapter in my book chronicles how the Lord appeared to an entire classroom of Muslim schoolboys in Arabia during the fasting month of Ramadan. As a result of that corporate vision, a move of God broke out in the school and the classroom where Jesus appeared became a chapel. And I was privileged to preach in that move of God. So many Muslims are claiming today that they saw Jesus in their dreams and are becoming followers of the Savior, often with consequences of great persecution. One bishop alone who lives near Beirut says he's baptized at least 100 Muslim Syrian refugees since the start of the war in Syria. Because of Lebanon's constitution, they have the right to change their religion. But it's illegal or dangerous for Muslims to convert in most Muslim-majority countries. Now, according to an article in the Christian Post, a preacher and theologian from Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the United States, said he's highly suspicious of stories about Muslims believing in Jesus because of dreams. He stated that such experiences contradict the biblical pattern of how salvation is accomplished. And so I want to answer the question of whether or not these phenomena of dreams and visions in the Muslim world are in fact biblical. That Baptist preacher from Minnesota was asked what he thought of Jesus appearing to Muslims in dreams. He pointed out that people get saved by hearing the gospel preached to them. He stressed that the gospel needs to be heard, quoting Romans 10:14. How then can they call on and believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? That's a significant argument. However, I'd like to offer a commentary on these phenomena that I believe answers many skeptical concerns. I've met too many Muslims over the past decades who've been dramatically changed by dreams and visions. Too many former Muslims are now following Jesus for this movement to be false. So it's important to point out that the preacher who opposed this movement was willing to concede that he believed in what he called Cornelius-type dreams as recorded in Acts chapter 10. So let's look for a moment into the New Testament at the account of Cornelius, a Gentile, 
a Roman centurion who experienced a vision while he was praying at three o'clock in the afternoon. The book of Acts says that a man in dazzling clothes stood before him and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and God has noted your gifts to the poor. Now send messengers to Jaffa to summon a man named Simon Peter who's staying in the home of Simon the Tanner by the seashore. Well, it wasn't easy for a Jewish man like the Apostle Peter to visit a Gentile's home for the first time. God also had to give Peter a vision to show him that Gentiles should be saved. When Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, he said, I now see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. And while Peter preached that there's peace with God through Jesus the Messiah, the Holy Spirit fell upon everybody listening in the home of Cornelius. Hallelujah. Now don't forget, I have to remind you that in chapter 2 of Joel, it was prophesied that in the last days there would be a phenomenal move of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring upon all flesh. And we know that when the Holy Spirit is outpoured, supernatural manifestations happen. Many of the dreams and visions among Muslims are in fact Cornelius-style visions, just like in the Bible. In these dreams and visions, Muslims are also often given specific directions, just as Cornelius was, from the Lord, how to contact a preacher or somebody who has a Bible who can explain further revelation about Jesus. An example is a testimony of Gulshan Esther, a former Muslim who experienced a divine dream similar to the experience of Cornelius. Her best-selling book, The Torn Veil, was first published in 1984. Westerners often tend to put God in a box and expect Him to do everything within our prescribed norms. But The Torn Veil is the true story of a crippled Muslim woman who met Jesus the Messiah and was healed directly by Him. With only the Quran to read and no way to leave her home, Gulshan wasn't beyond God's reach. She experienced a unique night vision. I love this. Jesus stood in the midst of the 12 apostles in her bedroom in a blaze of light that was almost frightening. And Jesus miraculously healed her of 19 years of paralysis. Her father had taken her to England for medical consultations, also to Mecca, but only Jesus could cure her. In the vision, Jesus said to her, some very familiar words to most Christians. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to me. So she ran to Jesus. He blessed her with his hand, healed her, and taught her the Lord's Prayer, and said, Go to my people and tell them, I am coming soon. Jesus told Gulshan Esther to go to a Salvation Army missionary who lived 10 miles from her house, and he said the man would give her a Bible. And when she went, she instantly recognized the man as the one she had seen by vision. Next, I'd like to share more about preparatory dreams among Muslims. Recently, at a prayer breakfast in Jerusalem, I was seated next to a Turkish pastor named Ishmael, a former Muslim. 
And whenever I attend an event, I always pray that I'll be seated next to people the Lord wants me to meet. So I asked Pastor Ishmael to relate his testimony. When he was five or six years old, he started seeing dreams and visions of heaven. In one of the visions, he saw God as a man, and God told him he was his friend. Because of these visions, Ishmael was spiritually hungry. But he lost interest in his religion because he said something within Islam didn't match up with God whom he'd seen in his childhood visions. He said there was unspeakable joy in those visions, but I couldn't experience the same joy when practicing the Islamic faith, no matter how hard I tried. Then in 1994, he visited Israel for the first time and put his hand on the wailing wall to pray. God, this is Ishmael. He prayed, I am the brother of Isaac. Please let there be peace between Ishmael and Isaac. Although he'd experienced many dreams about heaven as a child and he'd seen Jesus in the flesh, he eventually became a Christian in Turkey under the influence of his university professor. Immediately after making a profession of faith in Jesus, Ishmael felt the same joy of his childhood visions. You see, God was preparing him for salvation through those dreams and visions. So we shouldn't be suspicious that God is in fact very capable of working through the biblical divine agencies of dreams and visions. My new Turkish friend was susceptible to the Holy Spirit, but his university professor, who thankfully was a true believer, showed him the way more accurately. Now, I would be the first to admit that the Bible pattern is usually to use a preacher to present the gospel. So don't misunderstand what I'm going to say next. God is also able to work outside of the box to win a person to the truth. The perfect example is found in the New Testament. I wonder if you can guess of whom I'm speaking. And yes, of course, it's Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. Saul was a persecutor of the early church who became the Lord's greatest disciple. But he didn't come forward to get saved at a Billy Graham-style gospel meeting. No, God had to knock him off his horse on the road to Damascus in a dramatic confrontation through an open vision. The risen Lord Jesus addressed Saul audibly. Let me take you to Acts chapter 9, which tells the narrative, and the testimony is also repeated in Acts chapter 22. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. You see, Jesus himself took the conversion of this big fish and persecutor of the church into his own hands, and he arrested Saul with the words, I am Jesus of Nazareth. The name Saul had often blasphemed. Jesus was saying to him, I'm the object of your contempt and scorn. Yet now, Saul beheld him invested with blinding glory. Jesus then commanded him, Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. 
while the men traveling with Saul stood by speechless. They heard the sound of the vision, but they didn't see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, Saul was blind, didn't eat or drink anything. Meanwhile, a disciple of Jesus in Damascus named Ananias received a vision from the Lord. And please note again, specific instructions were given. Ananias was told to visit Saul at the house of a man named Judas on the street called Straight. Ananias was told to lay hands on Saul to restore his sight. But he said, Lord, I, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But in Acts 9.15, such a beautiful verse, the Lord answered, Go, for the man is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Ananias dutifully put his hands on Saul, saying, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he got up and was baptized. He ate and regained his strength. From his amazing conversion, we get the metaphorical phrase Damascus Road experience to refer to a sudden or radical change of heart or mind. Saul's Damascus Road experience demonstrates the power of an open vision. Saul became St. Paul using his Roman name. And Paul's letter to the Galatians describes his conversion not by any preacher, but as a divine revelation of Jesus appearing directly to him. God does normally ordain that through the foolishness of preaching, men are saved. That's even a quote from Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. But the foolishness of preaching, Paul meant, is that the proclamation of the cross is considered to be folly to those who perish. However, there are occasions when a person receives his ministry directly from the Lord, and such was the case with Paul. He explained this in Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read these verses to you, starting with verse 11. He said, For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus the Messiah. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, 
nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia. Now the commentaries speculate that Paul sojourned to Mount Sinai in Arabia, the place where the law was given, in order to renew his mind. Like Moses and Elijah, the great minister of the New Covenant, may have received strength at Mount Sinai for his life's work. The point is, he didn't confer immediately with men, but he received his ministry from the Holy Spirit when he went on retreat in Arabia. In the book of Acts, there are actually three accounts of Paul's conversion. The last one occurs in chapter 26, when Paul defended himself against accusations of heresy before King Agrippa. He explained his resolve to obey the heavenly vision. His ministry was, after all, due to a heavenly vision. Again, I want to say this is not the usual gospel pattern, yet it did happen in the Bible, and therefore we shouldn't doubt. We mustn't be unbelievers concerning the move of God when he appears to Muslims, as well as God's own Jewish people. They're also experiencing dreams and visions of Messiah, and even more so as the time of Israel's redemption draws near. So we must learn God's ways, but also carefully test the spirits, always to see whether they are sent from God. There's a third category in which the Lord uses dreams and visions among Muslims, and that is to strengthen a person who has already become a believer in Jesus, whether they came to faith through contact with a minister of the gospel, by a Bible, TV or radio program, internet or some other means. The perfect example is a testimony of a Pakistani named Bilquis Sheikh, author of a book titled, I Dared to Call Him Father. Her book has become a classic in evangelism literature after first being published in 1978. It's one of the most popular Muslim to Christianity conversion books of the 20th century prior to 9-11. Bilquis Sheikh was from a prominent educated family and she became intrigued by biblical passages that were alien to her Muslim faith. As she read the Bible alongside the Quran, she began questioning all that she had been previously taught. She sensed divine peace whenever she read the Bible, but she was puzzled that she didn't experience the same peace when reading Islamic literature. She decided to approach some local missionaries who taught her the way. After she became a believer in Jesus, she began experiencing a series of dreams and visions that confirmed the truth of her new faith. The dreams included themes of John the Baptist, God as Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All these dreams helped to settle her in her newfound faith. Now, I want to point out that one thing that all of these Muslims who found Jesus have in common is a quality that any seeker of truth must also have. And that characteristic of earnestness is described by the Bible in Jeremiah 29:13. It says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This verse promises that when a person seeks the Lord with integrity and sincerity, 
they will find him. So I encourage you today, as I encourage myself, to draw near to God with a true heart, to call upon him in truth as men search for gold and hidden treasures. And the Lord Jesus will make himself known. Well, I'm so happy to be alive at this time and to see so many Muslims embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you have any comments, questions, or testimonies of your own, we can stay in touch through social media and through our website at exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And at our website, all of our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock as well as an archive of spiritual articles on prophecy and end-time topics. We also post prayer points twice a week at our website to help you be an effective watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. And you can also upload our free Jerusalem Channel app from the App Store to watch and listen to all of our programs. The app also provides daily Bible readings as well as details of our truly exciting Holy Land tours and events. And so, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, Shalom. The 16th century Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent ordered that these ancient walls be rebuilt as a defense around the holy city. But we are here celebrating with Israelis the great offensive action of retaking the holy city. 50 years ago, yes, half a century ago, Bible prophecy was fulfilled. And now this is the jubilee of the reunification of the capital, the eternal capital of Israel, Jerusalem. Behind me on the walls, Israelis are projecting the song, Yerushalayim and the Israelis are celebrating and all who love Jerusalem rejoice with her tonight. These ancient walls of the old city of Jerusalem have seen centuries of conflict and contention. Right up to 50 years ago, few Israelis could have imagined that all of this holy real estate would be conquered by their soldiers in the midst of a desperate battle of survival. It was June 1967 and the famous Six-Day War. All the surrounding nations, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon, supported by Iraq and 13 countries in all, declared annihilation upon tiny Israel. More than half a million Arab soldiers were ready to invade with nearly a thousand fighter jets and 2,500 tanks. But the God of Israel had a better battle plan and by the third day of this miraculous war, Israeli soldiers were praying at the Western Wall after driving out Jordanian forces who had held the old city since 1948. And what does all of this mean for us today? Well, today Jerusalem is reunited and undivided. Jews can pray at the Western Wall. Christians can walk freely in the footsteps of Jesus to all the holy sites. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Garden Tomb. The Healing Pool of Bethesda and the Via Dolorosa. 
This special 50th anniversary reuniting of the City of the Great King is biblically significant also as a jubilee year, which brings the jubilee anointing of liberty and restoration of properties and lands back to their original owners. Let's take advantage as believers of that anointing. You can watch our Jerusalem Channel programs on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, YouTube, and of course by checking out our website. But now you can also download the free Jerusalem Channel app to watch our Bible teachings on your mobile phone or your tablet. The app also has the complete Bible and a daily Bible reading plan to enjoy God's Word in a simple outline of the Old and New Testament. There's also an app link to help you support this ministry where you can make a one-off or a recurring monthly donation. So please look for the Jerusalem Channel app in your favorite app store and take the Jerusalem Channel wherever you go. The Apostle Paul gave us the inspiring imagery of running a good race in life, much as these 3,000 participants in the annual Jerusalem Marathon. Lots of things are happening these days in Israel's ancient capital, and we're here with the Jerusalem Channel to keep you informed of the fast-paced events and news through our daily website updates and regular video reports and biblical teachings. To continue this viewer-supported ministry, we need your help. Please become a part of the Jerusalem Channel by donating. Just click the Donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. You can also donate by check to our U.S. address or our U.K. post office box. We're here to anticipate that one day soon we'll witness thousands running joyfully through the streets of the Holy City to welcome King Messiah 